You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Sponsored by Advanced Track, helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring. Hey, Rob Brown, welcome to this week's episode of the Talent in Accounting podcast. On behalf of our Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network, we have a number of shows. This is where we deep dive on the profession, what it takes to be good in this game. I'm thrilled to have with me today, Tom Clendon. Good day to you, sir. Thank you for inviting me. Tom, you've got an interesting background in the accounting world. Just give us a little flavor of that and we'll deep dive into some of the things you're really good at and you love talking about. Okay. Um, so I've operated in the training space for 30 years around um, exam-based training, making sure that the people coming into the profession know their debits and credits, uh, know their financial reporting standards. Um, when I started out teaching, there was a blackboard in the room and uh, the new technology was OHP. Um, and obviously things have moved on massively since then. Um, I was a director of a training company called Kaplan, which some of you may uh, be familiar with. Uh, I've worked overseas and I've worked very closely with my own professional body, the ACCA, um, in developing and delivering train the trainer programs. Um, and I'm now exclusively online uh, doing what I do. How have accounting qualifications changed over the years, Tom, if at all? Oh, oh, they have changed. They have changed. And I think they have evolved. They've needed to evolve, though, haven't they? Oh, they have needed to evolve and they have adapted because the world of education and the work, the work that the accountant is doing has changed. So, for example, exams are all online. Students are doing the exams on a computer. They can even do the exams at home remotely on a computer. So that's 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 been a major change. If we look at the qualifications themselves, not just how people take them, but the content of them, we are in crazy times and the the economics operating now the world we live in with post-covid uh, it's not the same world so doing debits and credits and balance sheets and everything else the technical side of that obviously that stays the same but there are a whole other dimensions now to qualifications are there or there should be well well yes and no, yes and no rob i mean you know when i qualified obviously the cpd so members keep up to date but when i qualified i was doing numbers i was in my final accounting exam i was putting together a set of accounts now that is simply not tested at the final level anymore you're given a pre-populated spreadsheet you're given the accounts and then it's like well what does that mean what what if we change that judgment what if that accounting policy is slightly different can you manipulate the numbers very slightly but more importantly can you explain it to another stakeholder can you articulate um the significance of an impairment loss on goodwill what does that mean to the cash flow what does it mean to the gearing and so the, the the way that the accounting qualification at the final level has evolved it's become much more judgmental we're going to talk about that and, and the ethics and the, the stuff that you do but to your point of things have changed giving 
people taking examinations, a final set of accounts, that's appropriate because we can do that at the push of a button now, can't we, Tom? We can do that with chat GPT and artificial intelligence. So it's no good teaching an accountant to balance things. That's already done. So you're right. It's what happens beyond that, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and in an exam scenario, it's a very cartoon world. Right. You know? And it's it's a lot of people are attracted into the profession because they like numbers and because they like certainty, you know, and we live in an uncertain world and professional skills and they, they you know, the, the, the accounting qualification is trying to test these professional judgment skills. So there are more open ended questions that students are having to prepare for because the role because that's what they're doing in their real world you're right excel is there it's a, it's a press of a button isn't it and if we look at the role of an accountant now we hear this phrase trusted advisor a lot and we know particularly in, in public practice that accountants are have traditionally been hired to look historically at what's happened but increasingly business clients to navigate the murky waters of of life now they're asking the accountants to hold their hand and say help me navigate the future so accountants do need to be able to talk about the numbers and that bounces back to qualifications that we need to be rigorously testing and educating them on that so that they can do it in the field. Absolutely. So, you know, in my arc of, of, of a career, there have been more and more regulations come in. Um, and, you know, a few years ago, we saw integrated reporting and integrated reporting is all about that soft communication is all about communicating risks, communicating strategy, not this is the amount of profit I've made, which is a very kind of naive, uh, you know, uh, hygiene factor. That's not enough. Users need more than this is the profit that I've made. They need to understand the risks. They need to understand the future. And sustainability reporting, you know, that's come into play, you know. So students doing their exams need to be aware of, you know, of the impact of climate change and how that can potentially affect the business. When you look at what accountants traditionally have been good at collecting data, summarizing data and reporting. And therefore, it's natural that accountants have got involved in climate change, in, in understanding the, the carbon emissions and in understanding the impact, because that does need to be communicated to investors. It, and it's not a simple case of winners and losers. Every business is to a greater or lesser extent affected by this. And it's how they communicate that. And if they don't communicate that, then that they will lose, you know, the market takes, doesn't it? Well, dip into communication. I'm really glad you mentioned that word. But let's just define a couple of terms, Tom, in your world. People watching the video right now will see IFRS lecturer and expert and SBR. So just define these terms a little bit. We're an international podcast, so this applies everywhere. IFRS stands for International Financial Reporting Standards. And these are the, this was incorporated by the EU and is widely used uh, across Africa, across Asia, uh, and is adopted within, within Europe as well. So companies worldwide are preparing their financial statements using the same regulatory system. And that is principles-based, that is great for users because it's, because it's comparability. Unfortunately, the United States of America... I heard that emission there. I was counting it off to see whether North America was in there. Unfortunately, the United States of America have a more legalistic approach and have a more nationalistic approach. So they look to reconcile. They, they accept uh, listings uh, of companies prepared under IFRS, but there's then a reconciliation between, you know, IFRS gap and, um, uh, and US gap. 
and and so you know they have a different way of valuing it. They don't like revaluing assets, for example. They have a different basis of deferred tax, etc. SBR is my one little narrow obsession. Is the exam paper that I uh, am, am, am most regularly using. So uh, that has less. What does that stand for, Tom? Strategic business reporting. That so sounds really grand. Yeah, that's the name there. It used to be called yeah. AFA, Advanced Financial Accounting. Right. And that that in itself, that name, that branding or that rebranding or basically the final level accounting paper to me sort of demonstrates how things have evolved. We're about reporting in a strategic way um, about the results, not just we're not just being counters, in other words. Yes. And this SBR area speaks to ethics and judgments and making wise decisions, doesn't it, based on the data that you're looking at? Talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, ethics is something that is infused throughout the whole syllabus and across. So you'll get ethics in, in the audit exam. You'll get ethics in the accounting exam. Ethics is not something that we need to think of as a separate facet of life. It, 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 is, it is integral to the world of the accountant because we're using judgment. Mm. Therefore, you have to be competent. Therefore, you have to be detached. You have to be ethical. So, you know, the professional bodies have woken up to to the importance of of ethics because it is important. You know, well, we've all got newspapers and online wherever we look and audits under scrutiny. And this firm's got this wrong, and this firm's been fined. And there must be people wiser than you and I making what they feel are the right decisions and getting it wrong. So it's not easy. No, it's no, it's not easy, but. Some of these people who are making these decisions and get them wrong are paid an awful lot of money. They should be getting it right more often than they do, in my humble opinion, you know. I agree. Why are they getting it wrong? Because we're human, you know, um, because the regulatory system is not perfect. Can't we let the robots do it then, Tom, if it's human error that we're talking about? If we give it to a computer, it will come out right, surely. It'll come out correct, uh, but whether it will come out right, whether it will be the truth, is is a totally separate matter. I'm I'm not I'm not an early adopter of AI. I'm not I'm not cutting edge there, uh, and I'm I'm a member of the British public here, and I think I'm slightly cynical, um, uh, and I don't I don't fear for my job. I don't fear for the accountant's job, maybe the bookkeeper's job, but the bookkeeper's job kind of went a long time ago with Excel. I see it as a tool. I, I, I could be wrong. It, it's an interesting development. Um, it's very obviously hot at the moment over these last few months. Um, and let's see how it plays out. Give us some examples of the kind of questions that would come up in the strategic business reporting section of a qualification, Tom. So you so so what the examining what the examining is trying to do at the final level is to replicate the role um, of, of, of a manager or of a senior uh, senior accountant in the accounts preparation and the discussion with the auditors. So it might be along the lines of, you know, my factory has burnt down um, as a result of the fire, the ground is being polluted, and we've got an insurance claim that we've got to make to, to reclaim uh, the damage done to the factory explain and discuss the accounting implications of this. Now, there may or may not be some numbers involved in that discussion. And what the student is trying to do, or the, or the, or the qualifying accountant is trying to do, is to think, to relate their theory. They've learned about impairment. So they've learned that 
when an asset is impaired, you know, the carrying value exceeds the recoverable amount, they write it down. Well, they've got to realize the factory has burnt down. And, and the answer is not, this is the definition of impairment. What the client wants to know is, to under, is, is for you to recognize this is a situation where impairment arises and how the impairment process works. Damage the environment because of your activities? Are you obliged to clear it up legally? Have you created a constructive obligation? Should we be accounting for that? Is there a disclosure to be made? And then the insurance claim, again, is another bit of ISA 37. Is there uh, a contingent asset that we're looking to uh, recognize here? So students tend to learn in, in silos. And, and, and to be honest, it's easier to teach in silos, learn this rule, learn this rule, learn this standard. But the reality is that life is complex. And the reality is that the person, the, the client or the situation is, is, is not asking you, what is the definition of impairment? When do you make a provision? Because you can look that up on Google. If we are to be that trusted advisor, it's us recognizing what the situation is, relating it to the theory, mixing it all up and giving the, the right answer, giving the, giving, the, giving the right advice and explaining consequences on profit explaining the consequences on the balance sheet, explaining the consequences on cash flow. I recall I'm a qualified scuba diver and I took my rescue diving qualification in the Philippines. And the last scenario, the last part of the examination, the qualification was that I had to, I was on a boat. We were about a mile offshore. And uh, I had to go to a corner of the boat and my examiners would create a situation on this boat. And I had to kind of open my eyes, turn around, and I didn't know what I was going to face. As a matter of fact, with this one, I faced somebody that was having an epileptic seizure and they were under the water. And I had to coordinate other people on the boat and think on my feet like that. But you don't know what you're going into. And presumably in your role, you had to prepare students and accounting professionals to walk into a situation where they have no idea what's coming up, but they've got to be ready for any scenario. That, that, that's true. And I, I sort of, students can panic about that. And I, I comfort them. And, and the exams are always not optional. So you have to do every question in the exam. It's mandatory, everything. Yeah, yeah, everything's mandatory. Because that's the way it is at work. Yeah. You know, it, it is at work, mandatory. I sort of comfort my students sometimes by saying, you only have to get 50%. Okay. So, so if there were two people having a, an epileptic fit, you would have only had to save one of them, Rob. Well, there was only one having a fit at the time. So, <laughs> uh, And ironically, I, I have epilepsy myself now and I take medication every day after a brain hemorrhage and a stroke. So I, it's, uh, I know a little bit more about it. But you're absolutely right to say that it, it, it just takes some navigating and accountants as a breed are not comfortable with uncertainty and the unknown they like binary don't they they like right and wrong black and white yeah the, the profession does a, does does attract that and the the examination process the way that we assess competence the way that we assess um their their academic achievement is in a is in a relatively sterile and traditional way of a time pressured exam where they have to get 50%. So they're not, you know, there are other, other models that could be adopted where you give them an infinite amount of time and you have open book and the, the South Africans do that and, and, and the Hong Kong allow open book so that, so that trying to move away from that rote learning. I've been involved in some education in, in universities and, you know, the undergraduates these days have a very rich form of assessment so they will do group work uh, they will do presentations uh, it's not just about doing um, multiple choice exams or essays or account it's it's everything and I, what you said there about the accountant being part of a team that the accountants uh being you know communicating and and 
and understanding what's going on. That's that's something in future. I would I really would like to see more coming out in 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 the examination process somehow some collaborative work. But yeah, we'll see. I used to be a maths teacher, and uh, one of the things as I'm teaching algebra, what I would get from the children is, why am I learning this? This is never going to serve me in real life. This is not relevant. And I can see a scenario, Tom, in your world where an accountant would say, why am I doing this ethics stuff? Because if it happens in real life, I'll just go to one of the partners. I'll just go to someone in charge. I'll just go to my boss. I'll just go to my team. And I, I don't need to make this decision on myself. It's not all on me. Is that realistic? Yeah, yeah, it is realistic. But it might be the partner who's the one who's the problem. <laughs> true enough. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I think it's true that the majority of people who train as accountants and qualify as accountants don't actually practice as accountants. How do you mean? Well, they can go into teaching, they can go into banking, they can work in the charity sector, any organisation where money is flowing through, they've got a set of management skills. So not everyone becomes a partner at PwC, not everyone is involved in day to day, the accounts preparation, but it, but it's a badge, isn't it? You, as, and, and I think if you're going to earn that badge and have the right to call yourself a qualified accountant, you do need to have had a general skill set. And then you go and specialize in whatever you do, mm -hmm. like the medical profession. You know, they they qualify as a doctor and then some become GPs and some become surgeons and, you know, some become housemen or whatever. I'm thinking about the support that students get as they go through the qualifications. I'm a part qualified accountant. So I, I started a degree. I passed my first year and I have a diploma in accounting, but I never went on to take my qualifications for a few reasons. When we look at the talent problem these days, and maybe there are less people coming into the accounting profession, we find that accounting firms are grabbing hold of the talent early, even grabbing them in high school, grabbing them early in university and starting to sponsor them, develop a relationship with them, support them through their, their qualifications examinations. Obviously, the, the regulatory bodies, professional associations that you represent, say with the ACCA, they will have a role, but firms themselves are getting more involved in helping them pass these exams. Do you know much about that? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it varies from qualification to qualification. So so um, organizations like the ICAW are very practice orientated. The big firms dominate and they will recruit, you know, the, the, the Deloitte's and the KPMG's and the PWC's of this world will recruit hundreds, you know, will recruit cohorts and take them through and support them. And they have, you know, very high pass rates, but the the failure rate is, is, is you, you basically you lose your job. You know, it's a high pressure environment. And they're able to select. So they're able to, 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 to choose very able and motivated individuals to go into the to go into the profession because they're going to invest a lot of time and money in those individuals. So they, they have a vested interest in that. So that's one sort of business model, if you like, of training accountants. ACCA take a different approach. They are much more international, they are much more open entry you can study to do ACCA even if you're not currently employed uh, you can self-finance yourself so that's a different ethos ACCA often represents for many people a second chance AAT is a is a different model again uh, the association of um, accounting technicians they're not necessarily interested in training someone to be a, a finance director but more the controller understanding the systems better. So it is a more a pure accounting um, qualification. So it's pitched at a slightly different level. Yeah. And the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, they 
rule it through their states, don't they? It's a statewide yes i mean yes it's i think it's similar to the singapore model where where the universities most of the teaching and most of the qualification is done at the university level in conjunction with um, i think i think i'm right in saying i've never actually i i've taught i've taught accounting and accountancy in over 30 different countries but not in the us of a because of their different regulatory system and i think it's because they concentrate it in the universities and actually the qualifying exams that the CPA, the American CPA have, I think they're all multiple choice. I mean, they were ahead of themselves in terms of making it go online, but it's, it is effectively multiple choice. Well, you're not saying by any means, are you, that the CPA qualification is much easier and less rigorous than the chartered accountancy qualification? No, I, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not able to make that judgment. It's a different, it's a different way of understanding. And the other thing, Rob, of course, although I'm involved in getting them through the exams, yeah, educating them in that way, if anyone is to ever call themselves a member of fully qualified accountants, they also have to do work experience. They have to be signed off in the workplace. So there is that dual aspect. And ACCA even has a third uh, requirement which is to pass a very specific ethics module. Um, so they have the exams, the experience, and the ethics. So any ACCA member has that. Any, any, any accounting qualification body will always have that uh, exam and work experience hand in hand, and that's signed off in the workplace. I'm just thinking that as a qualified teacher, I had a probationary period, which I guess would be that experience of, okay, you've got your qualification, you've got a piece of paper, almost like a driving test you pass your driving test and that's when you really start learning isn't it when you're in the car with nobody else we are continuing to learn i'm thinking of the ernst and young situation where the firm perhaps lent a little bit too much help to the students they were pushing to pass these exams tell us a little bit about that story tom as you saw it unfold that was the american that was that 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 was in a was that was that in america where they were uh sharing on whatsapp the answers to the mcq questions so they were all they were all um coming up with the right answer yeah shocking shocking a, a clear breakdown of culture a clear a clear breakdown of the only thing that matters is the result it's not the only thing that it's how you how you pass the exam not whether you pass the exam because if you cheat and pass the exam you've not it's, it doesn't matter so yeah a shocking breakdown a shocking breakdown what excites you most about the accounting profession, Tom? You've been in it a long while. You've served it well. We're in challenging times. We know that 75% of people that lead accounting firms, the baby boomers, the 45, 50 plus people, they're leaving over the next few years. Is there enough for the younger generation coming through? I'm asking you a multifaceted question here. I like what I do because uh, I'm helping individuals uh, at an early stage in their career to shape them and to try and infuse with them. So education, as you know, is a is a is an ever-changing thing because different students have different brains, approach problems in different ways. And as we've talked about, the accounting qualification has evolved. So I think what I've got is a why I'm excited, I'm still excited and still passionate about it, because there's a core of things which remain the same, you know, um, so I've got some stability in my life, but also there's all this breathing and interactive and development within the individuals and with the way the accounting qualification is evolving that is stimulating. Because I think if it was just the same, uh, it would it would get very dull, but it's not. I'm dealing with people. I'm dealing with real things and helping them. It's it's. 
couple of questions to finish, Tom. What advice would you give to young professionals out there that are going through qualifications or even considering a career in accounting? I'm thinking of that quote by Martin Rutter that said, you've got to do it by yourself, but you can't do it alone. <laughs> and as, as clever as they are, and these people are super smart, there are people like you around to help them, professional bodies, maybe firms. What advice would you give to them in stepping into a career in accounting, getting through the rigorous exam procedure in one piece, and having a successful career? Well, again, you, you, you packed a lot of questions in there. Um, I, I, I like that quote. My dad taught me to drive so that he could fall asleep next to me you know, with the learning plates on. <laughs> but I still then needed three or four driving lessons because I had to pass a test. So the bright people still need a little bit of direction because there's the, the hoops to go through. What advice would I give to someone starting out? Yeah, say yes. Be prepared to learn. Be prepared to be humble. Be prepared to uh, get it wrong. You learn from your mistakes. There's another cliche, you know. Um, and it, but but it, but it, but it's a true cliche, you know. So uh, have an open mind. Understand that the job that you're doing and the responsibilities that you have now are going to be different in ten years' time are going to be different in 20 years time. And yes, the generation coming through place a greater emphasis, I think quite rightly on, on kind of mental health and work-life balance. And uh, it's important that, and I think that's important. And that's something I've learned from, you know, engaging with younger people, you know, that it's not, it's important, but it, you know, we're not dealing with life and death. And finally, what would you say to the leaders, the managers, the people that are already qualified, they're in public accounting, maybe even in some kind of financial or financial accounting role in industry? What advice would you give to them to nurture and mentor and bring through this new generation, support them in their journey? You spoke there of mental wellness and, and well-being. There's a we have a responsibility, don't we, to nurture the profession and be a force for good? We do. And just the mere fact that you're asking that question, um, people should be asking that question of themselves. And by asking that question, the answer will come out because they're going to listen. They're going to care. They're going to support. It's it's a, it's a an enlightened self-interest. You know, if you can nurture an employee and support an employee and help an employee, they're going to be a not just a better person but they're going to be a better employee so it, it's it's a it's it's a win it should be a win-win should be a win-win tom clendon that's been magnificent thanks so much for your time and your insights today you're listening to the accounting influencers podcast sponsored by advanced track helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring